This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. On this episode, we are talking to Maxwell Finn. He is a tactician. He is incredibly knowledgeable about Facebook ads, um, how to structure Facebook ads, but he's also incredibly intelligent about business. Um, if you listen to the, when you listen or if you watch the podcast, uh, you'll see and you'll even be able to hear some strategies and tactics to make your Facebook ads better. Um, I originally found uh, Maxwell's content from a Facebook ad. Um, and then I found out that his, his business was also associated with somebody else that we, that we interviewed in the past. And I want to highlight a particular portion of the podcast where he breaks down an entire Facebook ad that he used for either himself or one of his clients. And I think it's incredibly knowledgeable to, if you are struggling with Facebook ads, to hear somebody else's success in what they're saying, how they're, how they're saying it, the verbiage that they're using on Facebook ads can be incredibly insightful. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's go. Hey, Maxwell, welcome to the show. How's your day going? Going good, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Fantastic. So before we get into the heavy hitting questions about business and entrepreneurship and Facebook ads in particular, um, we have to start the podcast off uh, the same way we do every single time, and that is with an icebreaker. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat and what are you going to order in order to make your day complete? I just love food related questions. Um, well, I was just, I was just in Vegas for mastermind at a bunch of meetings. So Vegas is like one of my favorite places in, in the country that I, I go to. And so like best day probably be if we're in the continental U S um, cause there's so many places outside we'll be in the, you know, the cosmopolitan. I love that place in Vegas and like secret pizza. It's like a hidden little pizza place there. I'm a big pizza fan. So um, cause I can't eat gluten or dairy. So like on cheat days when I can, it's a combination of both things I can't eat. So mm. <laughs> pizza is a, a good place to be. So that's like, that's a great day. Good stuff. Yeah. I like it. So are you getting, I mean, being at gluten and dairy, are you, are you getting any toppings or are you just sticking straight? Just original. Uh, you froze a little bit. So I don't know if pepperoni is the, uh, the topping of choice, but I, I keep it simple. Keep it basic. <laughs> Good. Yeah, not too crazy. That's good. So the first real question uh, that I ask is the blind entrepreneur, this podcast has a lot to do with being blind in business. Um, so tell me about a time that you felt blind in business and how did you overcome it? Sure. That's a great question. You broke up for a second there, but I, I got I got the gist of it. Um, yeah, the, the truth is that I feel overwhelmed all the time. I think like if you're if you're really like an entrepreneur and you're doing it, uh, you, you should be a little bit uncomfortable and overwhelmed at all times. Like it keeps in your toes, it keeps you moving. If you're like not uncomfortable and you're totally just like everything's going great, you're really not pushing yourself and you're not you know pushing as hard as you can. But I would say, you know, I think we did there's there's two scenarios, two situations. One is 
uh, my very first company while still in school, we raised our first round of professional money, venture capital funding. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just an over, like that whole process of raising capital is incredibly exhausting and draining and overwhelming. Um, you're in this situation where you need money, you're trying to raise it, you feel desperate because you're, you know, basically asking money to but we had um, flown out to meet our investor in Chicago who ended up investing, but uh, we had a CTO we brought on who was kind of more seasoned and wasn't a founding partner. We basically had a handshake deal with the investor, flew back to Tampa, told our CTO, hey, we got a deal, half a million dollars um, for some seed funding. And he tried to leverage that into uh, basically investing all his options, getting a raise, all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, we called his bluff and said, we're not doing that. He left the company and we had to basically tell our, our investor, hey, you know, the CTO, the guy that brought all the wisdom and experience, we're a tech product, me and my partner, not tech founders, he's uh, he's leaving. And like that that whole period of time was, I mean, it was only like a week and a half period, but it was probably like the most stressful, overwhelming period of my life, especially because I was very young then. It was my first company. There was, I didn't have any help, any mentorship, no experience. And, you know, obviously since then, I've been in situations that are probably way worse in terms of the like the negative outcome, but I experienced relationships not as crazy. But that was like one of my first big negative experiences where I was completely overwhelmed, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to talk to. Um, you know, fortunately, I, I have my my family is you know full of entrepreneurs. My dad's an entrepreneur, my grandpa's an entrepreneur, so I did have that resource, and I was able to talk to him, my dad, and my grandpa, which I was super fortunate about. Most people don't have that that ability because most people aren't entrepreneurs. Um, and it was really just a matter of like persistence, a little bit of ignorance because I, this is all new to me. So I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and just perseverance, like pushing through and saying like, this is our vision. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it regardless whether we have this guy or this guy. And you know, you need to bet on us. And, and that like persistence and passion, our investors saw that in us and, and continued and, and closed around the funding. So we were able to make it through, um, even with that, that huge roadblock that hit us. Yeah. Good stuff. So one of the hardest things to do in business is to achieve your first 100 customers. Um, how were you able to accomplish this? And if you could, uh, I'd love for you to talk about Facebook advertising in some capacity. And was that even a strategy uh, or in your mind when you were trying to achieve your first 100 customers for your business? Got it. It's funny that the first parts of all your questions break up, but then you, you recap it. So I, I get it. I get the question every time, which is good. It just, it's just it's like the timing of it's really funny. Um, so, so how do I acquire my first 100 customers? That's, that's a great question. It's a question that everyone wants to know. How do I get my first customer, my first 100 customers? The answer I would get, so the answer has changed. It's changed dramatically today, even like compared to three months ago or six months ago, because Facebook is changing very, very rapidly. They're making some big changes right now to their newsfeed, their algorithm that is basically decreasing the volume and the frequency of non-personal posts. So you're about to start seeing a fewer posts from businesses, advertisers, seeing a lot more posts from friends and family. Um, so that means that like your ability to acquire customers through paid traffic, at least the way a lot of people are doing it, is changing. And we can talk more about how to overcome that through this podcast. I would say the, the easiest way and the way that I started to acquire customers on, on a massive scale 
is by becoming an authority and a thought leader and providing value and content. We, we live in a world where everybody has access to billions of people. Um, you have the ability to open your phone, go live and share. You know, it might only be 10 people on the live or one person alive, but you have the ability to start building a brand and authority, a thought leadership without any cash, any resources, any connections, anything. Um, and what I can tell you is that over the last 12 months, I went from being a behind the scenes person to in front of the camera person and build a brand myself. And I do every day. I share content where I provide value and, and content on a regular basis. And the amount of inbound leads that I get, amount of inbound requests that I get from people that want me to manage their Facebook accounts, want me to speak at events, and then those events lead to more exposure, has increased at an exponential rate. And it didn't take until now to start realizing that. Within the first month of me being active, having a Facebook group, sharing content, I was getting inbound messages from people. Obviously, the quality of those people has gone up. The amount of money they want to spend has gone up. The the opportunities have increased. But it's not one of those things. I think a lot of people it's like, play. That's a long-term play, and I want things today. Um, but the cycle is shortening in terms of your ability to start putting out content and building a brand and to start realizing value of that. And so obviously that's different for every company. It's different for every business in terms of how strategy that is. But that's like the best tip I can give today is that because that strategy allows you to stay in front of a lot of the changes that Facebook is making. If you if you own an audience, if you own a community, if you have thought leadership, it doesn't matter what Facebook does or what Google does or what Twitter does or anybody does, you're still a thought leader mm -hmm. and you'll see opportunities to share that. Whether it means you're doing webinars, whether you're doing stage talks, whether some new platform comes out and now you're you're sharing there. Nobody can take that away from you and nobody can change from you. Mm. Good stuff. Um, you were talking about thought leadership and no matter what happens in Facebook's algorithm or Instagram's algorithm or, you know, whatever, um, as long as you're making yourself a thought leader and taking yourself from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes, what are some ways that you've found for yourself that have allowed you these opportunities and, um, what are, what would you recommend along the way? Maybe some trial and error that you've uh, tested before that haven't worked, um, but are now working, uh, today. Sure. Um, I think the, where people make the biggest mistake and, and where I made mistakes early on is try whether you're a practitioner or a teacher, right? there are these two kind of branches. There's people that are, are teachers and coaches and, and gurus, and there's people that are actually doing it. They're actually, they're actually spending the money on Facebook ads. They're actually doing the work. They're actually putting the effort in. They're learning. And the most successful people are the people that are bridging the two, that are bridging both those, those gaps and those mediums. And so uh, when I initially started out, I was behind the scenes person. I was doing all the work. I was actually building campaigns and then I started to kind of share content and stuff. But if you're, if you're not like actively in there and you're not learning and, and trying things, you one, uh, you run out of like a lot of content after a while. Like there's nothing really to share if you just stop learning and stop pushing. And, and two, you lose that credibility because then there are people that are doing that are watching. And they're like, that's BS. Like what he's saying is wrong. This just changed. This just changed. And so what I've been able to do is, Part of our company is actually working 
some large, very large businesses. And then part of it is teaching it and coaching and mentorship and instructing. And we're able to combine those two entities to have, you know, it's, it's like one plus one equals three when you combine those two things, because we're, because of the deals we do, we're able to get opportunities to speak on bigger events, do bigger webinars, do podcasts. And then because we're speaking on these bigger events, we're getting bigger deals. And it's this really interesting cycle that keeps increasing and keeps getting bigger um, because one feeds the other. And so if you're only doing one of those things, it doesn't have the same momentum. It doesn't have the same like uh, kind of exponential growth potential if you're just doing one or the other. If you're doing both, that's where it gets powerful. Because for us now, and I go to speak at this event, and then this leads to managing a $100,000 a month campaign. And now I get really cool results from this that I can speak about at a bigger event. Now I get a, a $300,000 a month campaign. Now I'm able to do big things, really interesting effect. Um, but if you're just speaking to speak, you're, you don't have any bigger opportunity to speak about. And so you kind of stay at the same level, knowledge-wise, topic-wise, and people don't want that. Like when you, the people running big, big events and big webinars and big masterminds, they want the experts that are like cutting edge, that are going to bring things to their audience that they haven't heard before. And there's a lot of things out there being taught that everyone's heard before that isn't unique, that isn't new. Do you think that only applies to service-based businesses like yourself? Do you think it could be done for, say, SaaS companies, small tech companies, et cetera? I think it doesn't matter whether it's a product or a service. If it's a product, it's the same thing, right? If I'm if I'm working in artificial intelligence or I'm, you know, making some type of AR or VR hardware, I'm a hardware company or software company making a physical product, you still need to be in that space and active. Otherwise, you know, that space moving so fast, like you could be talking about things that you learned six months ago, absolutely ago a big news broke, new tech came out, some new software came out that's changing changing the game, that mm. changed everything. So I think regardless of what you do, whether it's uh, you're in the finance world, you're in the crypto world, you're in real estate, you're teaching Facebook ads, whatever it is, it's very, very difficult to be a thought leader and a coach or a mentor or instructor if you're also not a practitioner. Mm. I've met very, very, very few people that are just coaches and speakers and also don't do it. And the only people, I, the only like segment the, the motivational, inspirational, self-development space, like that space, because there is not to not to, you know, uh, belittle that space because there's a lot of incredible people in there, and I think that's an important skill. But there's a lot of fluff in that space, right? Like you can talk in very generals and talk about motivating people and inspiring people. You can do you can use stories and anecdotes and things like that. Um, and so it's a little easier to BS and, and get by, but still be really good at what you do if you're a good public speaker and you can like connect with people and energize them and stuff. But I think every other like segment of our economy, if you're going to be a speaker about it, a thought leader, you need to be doing it on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. said. Now, um, I'm sure you get this question asked to you a lot, uh, but it's the, the most perfect Facebook ad, right? Um, one thing that I've heard and I've seen, and I'd like to, you to speak to it is the amount of text on a particular ad. So I'd like to kind of go at line by line from the, the, the actual text of the ad, maybe a suggestion from like a, um, a suggestion of like the picture that you may have used um, to the headline. And then finally, 
maybe we can talk briefly about the idea of um, what type of segments that you're using, the audience, the, how big should the audience be, et cetera. Um, so what would you recommend as far as the text? So that we're talking about Facebook in particular, yeah. the top of the text in order to uh, highlight the, the message. What would you recommend? Are you recommending a, a ton of text where you have to read more or maybe like a simple blurb? So the, the short answer is that, and I'll dive into an example, but the short answer is that we test everything because every audience, product, service, company is different. And so there's no cookie cutter approach. That, that's, that's the first thing. Um, I've seen million dollar ads that were three sentences. I've seen million dollar ads that are, you know, a blog post length, basically super long form, super short form. I think that the key is can you pattern interrupt on the feed to stand out and can you elicit an emotional response in that message? Hmm. If it takes you three sentences to do that or it takes you a hundred, that's, that's really, it's the outcome more than like how you're doing it. Now, what I can tell you is like for, for our Facebook ad course, for example, one of the biggest differentiators, and we're actually launching a bunch of new copy around this style of selling is I'm sure you see a lot of ads right now for gurus, coaches, whether it's selling, advertising, making money, things like that, where it's a person and it's in their Ferrari or Lamborghini and they're talking at you and they're saying, hey, do you want to be like me? The reason you're like this is because you're not doing this and this and this. And that's a very negative approach because basically what you're saying to people is, you know, you're not successful because you're not doing this, this and this. And the idea is that you want to be like me and so you're going to do these things. This is the shortest way to do it. You um, make the person feel like they're in the community, they're already in the tribe and to relate to them on a more personal level. So instead of saying you, it's like us and we, and I experienced this, and it's telling a story or a narrative that that person can relate identically to what you've gone through, and you've gone through it yourself, and you're gonna elicit that like problem before you solve it. So an example is like, I can just go through off the top of my head, like a, a Facebook ad script that we're running right now. And it's something like, cause we wanna get across how how frustrating it is to like find a winning ad and how great of a feeling it is when you do find a winning ad. That's what you really want to like elicit in them. Those two pain points. Like it's really, really tough, but then it's really awesome when it wins. You want to have it consistently. So it's like, Hey, I imagine that you're an ads manager right now and, and you're working, you're it's late at night and you're testing ad after ad audience after audience, interest, after interest, behavior after behavior. And it, it's a, XRY, one XRY, 0.5 XRY, and everything's not working. You're, you're about to say F it to Facebook. You're about to say, this is not for me. I don't know how anybody else is making money there. And then it happens. Then you feel that 10 XRY. All of a sudden, that one ad works and it makes you money. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel great because I went through that exact same thing. How would you like to feel that way all the time? How would you like to consistently have a 10 XRY ad? How would you like to consistently have a winning ad? How would you like to consistently not have to bust your ass testing things and testing things and testing things that you know don't work. Well, I went through that for years. I had to test it all. I had to do it all. I failed everything you think of until I found a way to actually consistently do this. And, um, and because of that, I put together a program for myself because I wanted to be able to systematize and do it better. And I'm actually opening it up to a lot of people right now. And it's called Facebook Ad IQ Academy. I just finished it. It's great. 
I'm not even going to, you know, this is now off script. Like I'm not even going to pitch it to them and say, join today, buy today. I'm just going to say, this is what it is. This is what I created. Point, the person's are like, I can relate to this guy. This guy's gone through the exact same thing. I, I know this experience. And I also know what that feeling is because you lead with a positive, right? So it's, this is like the pain point, but then it's you're listening to positive emotion because now they're like thinking about the, the one successful ad and how good that feels when they get there. And now they're thinking about, well, I wish I could replicate that. I wish I could do it on a regular basis because most people, they find one winning ad and they can't do it again. Mm-hmm. That's like a common pain point. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the ang- it, again, back to the whole point of the first question, I kind of went on a tangent there, but the, the length is not as important as the, the outcome you want to drive. And so again, like we tested ad copy, that's a few sentences. We tested ad copy, that's very, very long form. And they all have, they all serve a purpose at different points of the funnel, depending on where that person is at, like how, how much they're invested in you, whether they've never heard you before or whether they've seen 30 videos and they're super hot leads. That that's also a huge determining factor in like length of copy and how I'm going to hit them. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's an amazing point. Um, and, and very interesting, the people, I know I'm, my mind's going crazy, just add a copy that I know that I've personally used in the past and um, that I've seen. And, and the one, you're right, the one, the guy with the Lamborghini doesn't work well. Uh, in fact, I personally hate those types of ads. But your approach is, is definitely softer and it's more simplified. Um, I guess to that next point, what about the audience? Because the audience is key. Um I've heard conflicting stories where you want to get under a million and I've heard other stories where you want to get more than I've heard conflicting stories of when you want to get a million. And then the other side of the coin would be the aspect of over a million uh, people within your audience. What have, what can you speak to? What can you uh, educate us on about that, that idea? Sure. So the, end goal with any business is that you know everyone wants to be at a point where they're making millions of dollars a month right and the only way you get to there is you need to have you know high volume under traffic acquisition obviously if organic you've SEO you have content but from a page strategy like to get to millions a month you need to be able to spend tens of thousands or hundred thousands a month and so we look at everything through those lenses of like I'm not going to take on an opportunity unless I'm confident that I can be spending tens of thousands of dollars a day and through that lens, I know that a 500,000 person audience or a million person audience is not going to cut. When you're getting started, I think it's totally okay if you're a brand new account, you're a brand new business, you don't have a lot of data, and you're starting very small to find out what works in smaller audiences. That being said, once you kind of identify your your angle, your voice, you get your your offer dialed in on the backside. And you really think like this is something I want to spend a lot of money on. You need to set yourself up for that because the, the worst thing in the world is you find an audience that works, you find everything that works, and it's hard enough to do all those things. And after three weeks, the audience is exhausted because it's too small. And now you're back to the drawing board. Now you got to find a brand new audience, a brand new everything. And now that new audience, the copy and creative might not resonate with them. So now you got to write a new ad. And that's what we try to avoid because we put a lot of effort into all of that. And we don't want to be doing it every few weeks. So like, you know, for, we're running a, a very large offer right now and you know, I, I have an NDA, so I can't talk about the specific specifics of it, but most of our audience is 
So we have some very based audiences. We have some very big 10% lookalike audiences because we're spending tens of thousands a day. Um, we're actually a few thousand, but we're getting tens of thousands of dollars a day. That's the, the plan in the you know next few weeks. And, you know, again, like the, the CPA is going to increase as you scale. That's inevitable. So we've, and, and we can talk, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole because I'll probably talk about this in a few minutes, but you, you need to give yourself room to scale. Um, you need to be okay uh, having a little higher CPA, but also knowing that I can spend hundreds of thousands at this CPA instead of having a little lower CPA, but then having to go find that exact same low CPA again after $10,000 in spend. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like the reason you get a different answer from everybody you talk to pretty much is that everybody's different. And there's a lot of advertisers out there who might work with a local business. They might work with a small, you know, and in those, those are smaller, right? If you're doing, if you're a dealership in Birmingham, Alabama, your audience is only going to be 300,000 if that. So the, the answer is going to be different based on the client, based on the industry, uh, based on a variety of factors. But for what we do, which is e-com, uh, info products, digital products, basically mass market things, we're, we're always looking for an audience over a few million. Um, if we can't find a profitable audience that's over a few million, like it's probably not a good offer for us because we're not going to be able to scale it to the way we need. We put so much time and resources into getting the winning offer that if we can't hit those numbers, it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense for us financially. Yeah. When did you get to this is I want to move on to more of the personal stuff, if that's OK, because uh, I do have a yeah. couple of questions uh, in regards to that. Um, but was there a certain point in time when you were just like, you know what, like this is our threshold? Because now you're you, is from the sound of it. You sound like you're in a groove. Um, you know what you can what you personally can succeed at and you're going all in on it. Um, do you remember that moment when you're like, this is this is the time when we need to double down and, and these are, this is our bread and butter. These are the types of people that we could help the most. Yeah. Great question. Um, that, that's the one, that's the question. So what you just asked is something that everybody, every entrepreneur should think about is like really what they want to do, what they love doing. I, too few people actually think that way. They just, when you get started as an entrepreneur, especially when you're younger, um, or if you move from a nine to five to entrepreneurship, your, your initial instinct and what your focus is, is like, what can I make money doing? Like, okay, I just, how can I use my skills to make money? And that's usually the first thing they do. And nine times out of 10, that, that thing isn't the thing you love doing or you're passionate about your sweet spot. So you end up like going down that path and having some type of bad experience and pivoting at some point. Uh, that's what happened to us. I would say like nine months ago, was probably when I realized where our sweet spot was, like what I really, really wanted to do. Um, we had an agency for about two years with Kevin Eric from Shark Tank, and it was an awesome company. We, we worked with a lot of cool people, but I realized like I do not want to be in the agency world. Hmm. world, And I also don't want to be in the volume world where you're working with a lot of clients at lower budgets. For I could spend six hours talking about why that I don't like that. I don't recommend that for most people. But um, now we're in a position where we're very, very selective. We'll manage the campaigns for a very, very small number of businesses or offers. They have to meet a, a bunch of criteria. So it's almost more like they're selling us and we're selling them. And then and we have, have the, the business, which I have a passion, um, because I can impact a lot more people 
doing a webinar, doing a course, speaking at a mastermind that I can run in campaigns for, I could never run that many campaigns without many people to help them. And that's like a great blend for us is we get, I still get to my hands dirty and like run traffic for some really cool businesses Then I can take that and teach it to a lot of people. And so that's really the balance is like, I get to work with enough businesses that I, I keep getting really cool data and I keep getting my skills, increasing my skills, but not enough that I don't have time to then share that with people. Hmm. And that was kind of the balance for me. It was finding like tipping point between hands-on and teaching. So the next portion I'm switching from business to a little bit more personal. Um, I, I did some severe stalking, if that's okay with you. And yeah. I did a deep dive in some of your social profiles, uh, your Instagram, and also your Facebook. And I just have a couple questions surrounding these uh, these pictures. Um, and it's actually really funny about the, the question I'm going to ask you uh, because it's about this guy right here. Uh, so obviously you're a pretty big... You're a pretty big superhero fan. You got Wonder Woman. You got Batman. You got another Funko and Deadpool. Yep. Maybe I'm sure if I if I see correctly. Um, what is it about superheroes that you just that you just love? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's for me. It's one. I'm, I'm a huge movie buff, and I've, I'm just I've loved like I probably should. I, I read a good amount of books, and I. I constantly reading but probably should spend like less time watching netflix movies and more time reading uh, in an ideal world but for me it was just like the the ability to and this is going to sound like a cheesy answer probably because probably an answer to you from a lot of people it's the idea of a super especially batman because i love batman that's my favorite superhero like there's nothing special about batman right like there's nothing he's well trained you know he he's like great in martial arts but he's just like a super successful entrepreneur, like super rich dude. Decided to like spend billions of dollars for fighting, like and and arrest people, and shit. Um, <laughs> and it's that concept of like knowing that, and it's not real, obviously, but like the idea that uh, we're we're all just like human beings, and doesn't matter whether we don't have powers, like we can still deal with any trauma or problem or obstacle. And that's the way I've always viewed it. It's like a corollary to like the real world, right? It's like, obviously the closest thing we got to a superhero is like Elon Musk. Like he's the closest person that could ever be like Tony Stark or something, but there's nobody out there actually doing that. Um, at least putting on a mask and stuff. But there are people who every day deal with severe trauma and problems and obstacles and have to overcome those. Mm-hmm. And so looking at like, a lot of the superheroes that you know I, I like and stuff like that's basically what they're doing. It's a, it's a much more grandiose way of dealing with it. They, it's much more entertaining than like me dealing with problems. But I think that's what I was related to. Reasons cool like they do in the storylines and stuff, but just like at a fundamental level of how yeah. that to like my life. So the next question, uh, and and this is a theme, and I don't even know if you realized it. But I'm sensing a lot of sweets going on <laughs> yeah. in your day-to-day pictures. You got a picture of like, I think this picture here of like chocolate and things like that. Um, are you a sweet tooth guy? What's your go-to uh, sweet sweet type of dessert or, or uh, snack? I used to be a lot more. So that the picture you just shared, that's from my, my fiance Larissa. Um, that was our first Valentine's Day together, I think. So I went a little overboard that uh, – that Valentine's Day and got a ton of stuff, but I can't eat. So I'm, I'm like, I have psoriatic arthritis and I have 
um, like celiac sensitive. So I can't eat gluten or dairy. Um, I have cheat days where like once a month, once every two months, I'll get to eat things I really like. But most of the year, I, I don't eat gluten or dairy. So that I like eating. Like I do love candy. I do love sweets. Like Sour, pa- Sour Patch is probably the one candy like because it's got nothing real in it. So I can <laughs> uh, eat candy all the time. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I haven't met many people. I, I'm skeptical of somebody that doesn't like, like candy or sweets. Oh, absolutely. That, that's a fact. Like if you don't like candy or sweets or something, something off, like, no, I like salads, man, and, and stuff. Nobody likes that. I've, I haven't met anybody that's like pumped about eating a, you know, salad and a kale smoothie. It's like yeah. we do it because we have to do it once we become 20, you know, over 20. But yeah, anybody over at Twix bar or Sour Patch Kids is skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this picture in particular, I've seen a lot of these types of pictures, uh, and you guys seem to be so incredibly in love with one another, and it's uh, amazing. Um, what is it about family? What is it about uh, the people that are close to you that have allowed you to become the success that you are today? It's it's everything. Like I talk about this all the time. If, if you you probably you've been through all my social media, so you've probably seen some posts where I talk about it. like at some point you you can't have any more things, right? Like as an individual, I, I can only have one car at a time. I can only have one house at a time. Like I can only spend so much money on myself. Like it's just there's there's a cap, right? Sure, I can keep accumulating money and wealth and, and things, but there's a cap to like how much I can notice and like what that means to you. When you're a kid and you have thing, it's obviously awesome to make, make a lot of money and be able to get the nice things and get the nice car and stuff. But like you, you slowly start to lose the passion and motivation that you initially have when you first started. Because initially your first start is like money, 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 mm-hmm. you know, nice car and does a lot of car and stuff. And once you get those things, it's like, uh, what do I, what do I do now? So for me, it's like having, a you know somebody else with my yeah I have two dogs and my fiance like other people she has a stepbrother who's thirteen who I like to spoil and get stuff for like it broadens your uh, your group like your tribe so instead of you just depend like making money for yourself and doing this yourself it's now like well you know Logan wants Nintendo Switch for Christmas and I'll be able to get that for him right um, all these little things and again it's not all tangible but like I'm just saying it it opens it up a little more so. There's other people that you can make happy, mm-hmm. that you can like do things for, that you can support, and it, it gives you more of a why and a reason. For it's like we're our wedding, so we're getting married, and like I want to have the best wedding possible. So that gives me more motivation. It's like, well, now I have another goal. Like I want to make this much money in the next month so we can do this, this, and this, and this honeymoon and stuff. Um, so it's that, and then it's also like. Beyond the money part of it, it's also just the – there's an aspect of it where there's other people that like can celebrate your successes. And so when you do great things, like without other – when it's just you, it's like, okay, cool. I just closed this deal or I just did this thing. It's like you know you did a good job. But having other people that can see that and like, like recognize that in you, it's really fulfilling. And then vice versa, having on the downside, having the support like – I've been through some really, I mean, in the last, we've been together for four years and like, that's been a huge roller coaster. Um, you know, I've had some really, really bad months, you know, two years ago, three years ago, where it was like just struggling to get by. And obviously now the last like nine months has been like 
steady, steady, steady. And now we don't have to worry about it. But um, like the, about the support, mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody could get could could really get through it. And so if you're not like if you're an entrepreneur, I can't like you can't underestimate how important it is to have another person there. It doesn't have to be a fiance or a wife or a husband. It could be a best friend. It could be there needs to be other people there because if you're just like a, and us as entrepreneurs, we're typically we hold a lot of thing things in. We don't share a lot. We kind of hold this burden, and um, and so having somebody there that you can like open up to and share with, or even like I never wanted to open up, but like at least somebody there that's gonna push you. Yeah. Like she makes me share. She know like can read me because we've been together for so long. But um. But yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 everything. It, it's mm-hmm. like without it, there's not really a point. It's like at, at some level, there's not like a point anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, no, just, well, well said. Yeah, I mean, I, I can relate to that uh, very much. So, um, the my last question to you is: the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast uh, was created for individuals who are temporarily lost, blind in business. Maybe what you were two years ago when uh, you said that you were trying to get by, didn't know what to do. Now, a couple months later, and then this past nine months was the best nine months of of business and success, et cetera. To the individuals that are still blind in their business, um, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? Sure. So the the first one, and the next two will be like a lot more actionable, but the first one is passion and persistence. Those are kind of two, but we'll combine them. Like if, if you're not doing what you love today, like if, if you don't get excited to wake up on a weekend and do what you do for what your startup is or whatever your, your hustle is, whatever it is, like you need to stop that today and, and start something else. Because I can tell you that there are no overnight successes. I don't care if you're Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Leonardo da Vinci, whoever it is. Like, just woke up and we're successful. Like that does not exist on the planet, overnight successes. The only reason you think they're overnight successes is be- before you knew about them, they weren't on TV. Like You didn't know about it until you knew about them. And so when you know about them, you think they came out of nowhere. But the reality is nobody cares about people until they made it. So you don't see the decade. Nobody's like CNBC's in there watching Elon Musk before <laughs> he's Elon Musk, right? They don't they don't document that. But all of a sudden he's on there. Mark Zuckerberg's on there as a you know, hoodie, kid in a hoodie, overnight success. But it's like, no, he worked for years. Nobody, nobody documented it. Nobody shared it. Um, but they all loved what they do. Like they were passionate. The human passion. And that is totally necessary. Obstacles and hurdles and, and, and all that stuff. So passion, passion and persistence. If you don't have those two things, um, that's going to be very, very difficult. The other thing is like mentorship and support. Uh, find a coach. Find a mentor. Find somebody that's where you want to be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And build a relationship with those people. Uh, I, that's me. I didn't do until now. Like I didn't do it until I was already successful and I, I, it's made me exponentially more successful, but mm-hmm. I wish I did it 10 years ago when I needed it the most. Like, um, a lot of people get, uh, this kind of insecurity around like, why would somebody so successful want to talk to me? Why would they care? They're going to charge me uh, again, going back to the, like why we do this, what's, what's important to us, our goals. At some point, it's no longer money. It's about impact, right? Like I just, I did a live Q and A with Ken, uh, Ken Herring this morning, my business partner, like friend, and he said, you know, I spent the thir- first thirty years of my life building wealth, and I'm gonna spend the next thirty years of my life helping and impacting. 
And that's every billionaire and millionaire that I know, that is their passion now is mentorship, coaching, helping, giving back. And so the worst thing that happens, you ask somebody to say no, or they don't respond. It's the worst thing that happens. And that's where it's worth to get a hundred no's to get that one person that says, yeah, I'll take you on my wing mm-hmm. and I'll be there, help you through all these things. So seek out a mentor, um, you know, have passion and persistence in what you do. And, um, what the, the third thing would be, um, that's a good one. The third, what's the third one be? Cause I tied the first, I tied the first two together. I should have done that. Cause that's, that's a good third one. But, um, I think, I think the third one is, you know, set set short-term and long-term goals in what you do um you know write them down know what they are don't just operate blindly um I'll, I'll, you know i was to say i was this way when i was getting started like i knew that i wanted to be rich like i knew that i wanted to make a big company and make a lot of money and that was my goal but like that is such your that it's hard to make actual steps along the way so set weekly goals, set monthly goals, set annual goals, set a decade goal, right? Um, because when you make that progress and you check off, like, okay, I accomplished this goal, it builds momentum, it builds positivity, it reinforces that you're doing the right thing, um, and it's easier to keep going when you hit challenges because you know, like, why well, I already hit this goal and this goal and this goal, it's okay, I hit a roadblock. If you don't have those and all you're thinking is 10 years out, like, I got to be successful, those roadblocks can totally take you off your course. Yeah. Absolutely. I've spoken from a true entrepreneur, a seasoned professional. Um, Axel, I really appreciate your time, man. And uh, thanks for sharing your story about business and life, etc. cetera. Uh, the next 30 seconds is all yours. If you can, just go ahead, look into the camera, tell everybody about how they can learn more about you, be a part of your journey, and potentially become a customer of yours. Sure. So easy pitch. You can go to unicorniq.com. I love that we have a unicorn as our brand because everyone Remember, you know, so IQ, you can learn about our business. You can learn about our, uh, our courses, our training program. That's my info, Jeremy's info, everything. So that's it. No, we're not selling anything. No pitching anything. We have courses up there. If you want to get them, get them. There's a lot of free content. You can join the group. Um, I'm a big believer in free content delivering value. So there's plenty of ways to, to learn from me without giving me any money. And it's a unicorniq.com, correct? Yep. Awesome. Yep. And it's going to be in the show notes for everybody to, to check it out as well. Um, again, thank you guys that are still watching and listening for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Head over to theblindentrepreneur.com for more interviews. Uh, being blind in business is temporary, and I hope after listening to the wisdom of Maxwell today, you are now able to see more clearly. Go out there and execute your vision. Have a good rest of your day, everybody.